0: I think every one of us, if we're honest, are always looking for something to build our life upon. And we look for others to help us do that. Oh, while we want to be independent and we want to be self-made, most of us require some instruction, going to someone and a learning from them what we do not yet know. We want to glean some wisdom. We want to have some knowledge laid upon us. We want to learn so that we can improve. We can do better so that we can grow. And we go to different people for different reasons. Um, some of you may go to a business guru, financial guru, to help you deal with money. People go to a love doctor to deal with relationships. People go to tech geeks um, when it comes to gadgets and gizmos and what the what's. It, we go to all kinds of things. you uh, If you have a young person you really want to know what the games are, you go to a gaming wizard or whatever. You go to someone that knows and speaks that language. You go to someone that can help you. Whenever you're sick, you go to someone that is a doctor or a nurse, someone that has gained instruction and information on that area. Because we understand that there are people that know things that we don't know. That can do things that we ourselves can't do. But we do want to learn more about it. That's why we ask them questions. So when we talk to the doctor, what does this medication do? What are some things that I should expect? When I, we go to the business or financial person, we want to know what steps that we need to put in place. What's the snowball effect? If we're Dave Ramsey followers, uh, we want to know those things. If we're having relationship issues, we probably want to go, Yeah, hey, you know, is it, is it really me or is it them? You know, cause they say it's not me, it's them, but you know, I'm pretty sure it's me. You know, we, we want to know what is going on with the scenario. We want to have some wisdom laid upon us. We want to have some knowledge. But whenever they do this, generally they give you some beginning foundational things that you need to understand. And based on that foundation, you can learn more. You can become further educated. You can be instructed more, but you need to get this part right first. You need to understand the diagnosis. You need to understand the predicament. You need to understand the scenario before you can understand anything else. We've been talking over the last few weeks about how this applies spiritually, how this applies biblically. How does this follow along the realm of Christianity? What does that mean when we are choosing to live for Jesus, how does it mean to be alert and awake to what He has for us? What does it mean to be stirred to follow Him? And we've been looking at this letter. The Bible is full of all different types of writings. We've been looking at this letter by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament called Corinthians. There's actually two letters. We're in the first one right now. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's uh, First Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. If you're using one of our Black Pew Bibles, uh, that's pages 1011 and 1012, we're going to be looking at those, a few verses there. Uh, you can certainly follow along, and if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those. It's one of our goals to get the Bible into people's hands and ultimately into their hearts. But we're looking at this letter, and we're talking about how Paul is writing to this church in need of incredible instruction. A church he cares about, a church he loves, a church he would willingly give up himself for. But nevertheless, a church that's on a rocky path, that's not really awake or alert to that which Jesus has for them. So would you stand with me as we read God's Word together, as we honor God in the reading of His Word. And I'm just going to read the chapter. It's going to be on the screen behind me. I'm using the CSV. Uh, you can certainly follow along in, in whatever version that you have, whether in print or electronic. But this is what Paul says. I know some of you are like, you preached from the first part of chapter 2 last week, but it kind of ties in. It, in fact, it definitely ties in, not kind of. Here's what he says. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much... "...trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who were coming to nothing. On the contrary... We speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of God? Excuse me, except His Spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God so that we may understand that what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not understand what comes from God, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. And yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that He may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that today... In your spirit, in your power, you would move in this place mightily. You are already here, for you've promised where two or more are gathered, you are there. And it is you who has gracefully extended this invitation to us to hear from you. Now pray that our our eyes and our ears are open, our hearts are wide and ready to receive that which you want to show us. Help me, Lord, just to be your servant today, to clearly declare who you are and what it means to follow You as I seek to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, I tell people this news pretty much every week that whenever we're looking at this text of Scripture, any particular text, there's some things that we need to understand if we're really going to gain understanding. And not just read it and say, well, in this day and age, I think this means this, or I feel it means this, or I believe it means this to me. To get a foundation, we need to look at some things. We need to look and ask, well, who was the author? This is written by the Apostle Paul, a man who was once gung-ho all out in his zealous desire to be utterly religious. He wanted to stamp out Christianity because he thought it was a false faith because how could God die on a cross and be risen again? Now, that all changed the moment that he... Experience his encounter the moment he saw the risen Jesus that changed his mind it has a tendency to do that we may doubt this whole thing of salvation but when we encounter the resurrected Jesus and Paul did this visually not just spiritually not just sensing it to be true but when he encountered it well let's just say it changed his life choices It changed his path. And this zealousness that was for religion, achieving a status quo, achieving a position, earning a right to be viewed by human eyes and God, at least that's what religion seeks to do. Instead, he saw the grace that God had demonstrated through him, had put upon him. He was a guy that, you know, once tried to kill Christians. That's probably not on the high list of things that we would consider little sins. That's probably on the top of the big sins list. And yet God demonstrated His grace to him. He didn't smack him down on that moment. And he lived his life to passionately reflect that, to share that grace with others. In doing so, Paul traveled through the known world at that time, mostly of Europe, of the Roman Empire, and began founding these different churches in different cities. He would instruct them. He would help them to understand the Gospel, giving them that announcement. And then spend time, depending on where the situation was, teaching them what that meant. In the case of Corinth, when we look at the book of Acts, he spent 18 months, a year and a half there, teaching them. And it probably wasn't in 18 months like we would think of church today. We would probably think, oh, that's like only 18 months, so four Sundays times 18, we would try to figure that out. No, when Paul was there, he would spend time meeting daily with the church in their homes, meeting with them at their work sites, serving alongside them, instructing them as they go. So he spent 18 solid months working in this area so they could understand the gospel and how... It made a difference in their life. But here Paul is a few years down the road. He's across the the Aegean Sea in Asia Minor, in Ephesus most likely. And he's hearing about something that's going on a thousand miles away in this church that he loves. And it's breaking his heart. And ultimately much more, it is, as he knows, not honoring the Lord. Not honoring His grace. Not honoring His authority. So Paul writes to this church that's devoid of devotion. It's having difficulties with uh, their distractions and decisions. They're having an apathy towards the doctrine of Scripture, the truth of God's Word. He's writing to them and pleading with them and sharing a compassionate desire for them to be awake to the fact that doesn't Christ and His cross make a difference? And doesn't the fact that Christ went to the cross for us and we trust in Him, doesn't that give Him ownership of our life? If that is the case, it is going to lead to a difference in how you live. And here in this, what we call chapter 2, it's important to remember... When we're reading a letter, anytime in the New Testament, when we see those numbers, how the Bible is divided you know, with a chapter and a verse, um, those can be easy for us to find our place to help follow along, but the Bible wasn't originally written that way. So all of this goes together. All of this streams together. Paul didn't stop and say chapter 2, verse 1, and then you only take that little segment. He's meaning for you to look at the entirety of this letter, but for the sake of time, we only have such a portion. So today he's speaking a word about wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and and to those who would consider themselves spiritually wise. Because, believe it or not, while the Corinthians were doing some really, in our hindsight, silly things, horrible, atrocious things, excuse me, they were considering themselves pretty spiritually astute, pretty wise, pretty intellectual on the things of God. But Paul is saying, Oh, there's a word to the wit for about spiritual wisdom, and there's a word to those who are spiritually wise, and I want you to know that when it comes to gaining wisdom, it's about learning something that you don't yet know, and the same is true in spiritual wisdom. So let's look at some of the claims Paul is making. Let's look at claim number one. And what Paul is saying is in claim number one, there are two kinds of instruction that will present us authentic spiritual wisdom. Two kinds, but they cannot be mismatched. We do not need to get them mixed up. There is first the kerugma. This is a Greek word, so obviously I don't speak Greek. I'm Mississippian, and I'm doing my best here. But looking at the little dictionary that tells me how this was originally pronounced, it says kerugma, And this is the plain, blunt message of the basic facts about Christianity based on the Christ and the cross. This is why Paul says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery, kerugma." The mystery of God to you. I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. In other words, worldly wisdom. I didn't come trying to be a philosopher. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. In other words, it wasn't a crafted speech, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not be based on human wisdom but on God's power. He's saying the first essential thing that you need to get is the plain, blunt announcement, the plain, blunt message about what Christianity is really about. It's not just a philosophy of doing right and looking good and being spiritual. It is the message that God who is holy has seen the offensiveness of our sin and He decided in all of His might, in all of His compassion, to take our place by sending Himself in Christ to go to the cross for us. To live a perfect sinless life that we couldn't live, but die a death that we deserve to die. That's in His wisdom. That's in His plan. And it is based on that, that we have a personal responsibility to decide what will we do about this Jesus. About who He is. What He says is what He's done. Will we trust Him? Find the salvation that He promises when we trust in Him. Or will we reject Him and turn our eyes from the wisdom of God? When we do that, there are eternal ramifications. Heaven or hell, blessing or curse, life or death. And there are temporary, right now, in our day, implications. That When we follow this Jesus and we say we believe in Him, I mean, not just like, yeah, I'm going to nod in my head, that sounds cool, I like, kind of want that get-out-of-jail-free card, excuse me, get-out-of-hell-free card, um, you know, when we actually trust in Jesus, it's going to make a difference in our life. There's going to be a desire to live forward following Him. And when we fall, we fall forward. Because there are be times we mess up. But this means that the truth and grace found in Jesus are announced from a lip, the lips of a speaker to the ears of a listener and Paul said I did that that was instruction that you needed and, and it doesn't need to be switched around do you think that you that's just a side effect thing no that's the very first essential foundation you need you must get this before anything else or everything else will be messed up distorted or seem backwards and contorted the kerygma is something that is meant to be made known to everyone. Paul's saying, when I came to you, when I came, I, I, I was announcing it to everybody. I was doing everything I could in every way to get this message out because I didn't want people to miss it. Not anyone. I made that the essential thing. I didn't want to know anything else. I didn't want to teach anything else. I wanted them to get this first. So what we need to know is spiritual wisdom can only begin and be built upon trusting the announcement, the message, this kerygma of the gospel it is started there it's when we're awakened by the message of the christ and the co- and the cross but then once we learn that man we begin opening the text of scripture and we begin learning so much more as some of our life groups teach us some of our wanna groups teach that everything in scripture is pointing us back and forth to the gospel it's pointing us back to jesus that the central character in all of this that we see is not us, try as we may want it to be, but wisdom that comes from the Spirit tells us that it's all about Jesus because of what He was willing to do. Once we get the Gospel, our eyes are open to a new kind of instruction. We've got the announcement, the karugma. but now we need the didache, the deeper teaching that explains the meanings and significance of the message that had been announced to us. That's where we begin seeing this in a new light, in a new way. It's what is built upon the foundation of the Gospel and only the Gospel in the life of the disciple. Now, this instruction, while it can be announced to everyone, it is only really for those who have trusted in the Gospel, who have trusted in Jesus, and are ready to seek to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Why would I be so mean to say that? Imagine, if you will, You going into elementary school. Pretty easy to imagine. Most of us have probably been there. And instead of learning basic arithmetic, someone started trying to teach you college-level algebra. Now, you don't know yet 2 plus 2 equals 4. You don't know these things. Now, great concepts. You're going to eventually learn it anyways. But if you don't got 2 plus 2, it's going to be really hard unless you're a super genius to figure out college-level algebra. In fact, some of you went through the basic arithmetic in high school, and you still got to college algebra, and you were like me, and you are like, um, I only have to take this as my only math, right? We don't need to get it backwards. But so many people want to learn those things, and they want to miss out on what's essential. They want to learn about the end times. Tell me about Revelation. I want to know what's to be expected. Yesterday, there was a guy that's a Christian numerologist. They take all these different numbers and and things in history, and they begin announcing these predictions. So if you didn't know this, the world was supposed to end yesterday. You missed it. People want to know about the end times. What's the sad thing is, is that they want to spend so much time focused on this eschatology, this study of the last days, and they'll miss the Gospel. And they'll see nothing but the judgment and the onslaught of God, or they'll see the wretchedness of people, and they'll miss the grace and truth found in Jesus. We can't get that messed up. Creationism is a great study. I believe it's essential in, in knowing that this God made it all. And it's a good starting point. But if it doesn't get you to the Gospel, if you don't get there quick, you're going to look at creationism and be like, well, mankind really messed up. I guess there's no hope for us. We better get religious. And miss out on how Jesus has said, i am not come to make you religious, I've come to make you righteous. We cannot miss out on that. But Paul says we can't skip out on it either. We can't miss out on the Gospel, but we can't skip out on the further instruction that says, if you have trusted in Jesus and you recognize that He has adopted you, yet you are His servant as well, that there's something good about being a child that represents the King, you will begin shaping and patterning your life and being transformed by the renewing of your minds, by the Word, follower of Christ is meant to have this spiritual wisdom and instruction so that they might grow deeper in their relationship and understanding and application knowing their loving saving living God it is good to have this and we need to have it we need to have a good biblical interpretation we need to grow in that teaching that's a good thing but that doesn't need to be the only thing you see you got to have good biblical te- interpretation And you've got to have good practical application. Because if you don't, you have spiritual constipation. I know I used to use that word. Some of you eyebrows, your ladies looked up. Yes, I mean that. You can have biblical interpretation and no practical application. And guess what? Your life is backed up. And you can have practical application. It looks all good, but you're missing. And you know what? You're backed up. You've got to have it all. So that your life flows the way it's meant to flow. I need to move on. Here's the, hey, you're awake now though. Amen. Here is the second claim. Not only is there two kinds of instruction for authentic spiritual wisdom, but there is spiritual wisdom is a mystery made known to the follower of Christ. What is this mystery? What is this mystery? you ever watch Mysteries? How many of you are Mystery fans? Like a good suspense show, trying to figure out a it? I love those shows. I do. I love those books. I, it, it's really hard for me not just to skip ahead in a book when, I'm, when I, I know I can go to the very end chapter and read it, and they're like, okay. Or, or maybe you're not a big you know, thriller, like you know, Law and Order or anything, but maybe you're just a big Scooby-Doo fan. You know, those meddling teenagers. But didn't it make you feel good to kind of figure it out who did it before they actually got to the end? You know, you figured out the mystery. You kind of nudge if you're watching the theater or you're watching it on the couch. Somebody next to you and be like, I bet it's that person. That's it. That's the reason. That little small character that seemed completely unimportant, it's them. You wanted to figure out the mystery. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to this mystery, there is a whodunit. And it points us back to Jesus. That all of this exists because He created it. And in the middle of our brokenness, the only restoration is because He's made it. And so what is this mystery? It is that only by His grace, through His gospel, and for His glory, that Jesus Christ has provided for us, that we are able to discover the very greatness, the might, and power on display and holiness of this God, and the goodness of this living God. That it shows us that God is great and God is good. And both of those are an incredible amen-worthy celebration. That it's not just a simple prayer that children pray before a meal. That is a powerful declaration that yes, I know that God is great. He is mighty and He is something that puts a fear in my life. But He is good and He has rescued me and I know He loves me. I know He is for me. Who could be against me? And what Paul says about this mystery that it is not a wisdom of Paul's age or any age. Paul during his time, as well as many of the other New Testament writers, were uh, battling at times this heretical group called Gnostics that believed in this very spiritual, deeper wisdom, this deeper meaning that you were Meant to find this deeper teaching, but they could not actually point to you where this teaching came from. But they also had a distorted view of Jesus that he was meant to, he was not really someone that fully paid the price on the cross for us. And Paul's saying, no, 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 my friends, this wisdom I'm speaking to you is not something that has been hidden or just for a certain generation or a certain period of time, and it's not something you find in the world. In fact, what it is, is God saying, when you want to know who done it, I did it. I am making the mystery open to you. Through looking at Jesus, you go, wow, that is what God was doing all along. And that changes everything. It changes everything. It's a wonderful, eternal mystery that is both timeless and very timely. That God has done all this in the matter of eternity, but He's brought it to us in our time of need. So that when the message is declared to us, it's announced to us, that I believe there's a divine appointment that's happening in that moment. It's timely when you hear that message. That's why the Bible says, whenever you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. It's God making the timeliness of His message to you. And what is so wonderful is that God, being God, being great, He decided to declare His good. He decided to declare His glory and His goodness to us. Notice verse 8, Paul shares about how the world is always looking for ways of personal benefit and seeing things in hindsight. He says, if the world had known this was the mystery of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because they'd be like, oh, well that's God. Let's see what we can milk out of Him. You'd be like, how dare they? But there are people that do that today. They say, "Oh, well, this is God. Let's see what we can milk out of him." I don't really want to know him. I don't really want to grow in following him. But man, I want his benefits. Mankind uses, does that with wisdom. We want to know what's to gain. But notice, however, in verse 9 that Paul speaks about how God chooses to share something greater than the world could ever discover on its own. His wisdom, His power, His display of glory to those who would find it so unbelievable that what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, you haven't even thought of it, what God has prepared for those who love. Just imagine how immense that is. Let that grab your soul for a moment. That your ear has not yet even heard it, your your eyes not even yet seen it, your heart has not even conceived what God has in store for you. On that day when you reach glory with Him, but also in these days that you live with Him. This is the claim of this spiritual wisdom, this mystery revealed. Claim number three, spiritual wisdom is the demonstration of spiritual activity. It's not just something that we kind of do and we powwow together and we, we wrestle with this and we try to come up with the right phrase so that we look like holy people. No, this is the Spirit at work. Notice what he says in verses 10-12, through 12, that God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. So this is the initiation of the Holy Spirit since the Spirit searches everything, even the deep, the, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now stop right there. That's a very important thing to say. Most of us, you know, we kind of know each other's names. We kind of see and maybe we know where people work. We kind of see some talents that they have. But to really know a person, it's going to take that person revealing it to you because you can't really know everything about another person unless they share it with you, unless they tell you their story, unless you spend time getting to know them and they choose to be vulnerable and reveal that to you. You would just know that that's so-and-so, they're with so-and-so, they do so-and-so, and and I see them around so-and-so. But when they get to know you, you're like, wow, I never knew that about so-and-so. They're pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty profound to see how God has worked in their life. And this is what God, in His grace, has chosen to do for us. Yes, the Bible points to who He is, but we can look at creation and say God is creative, God is order, God is authority, God is power, all these things, these just general revelation but what He tells us is, I'm taking what's the deep parts of me, and I'm pouring it out so that you would know. I'm choosing to make myself known in this way. This is the initiation of the Holy Spirit and it's cultivated through the Holy Spirit. It's a consistent work of growing us so that we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. In other words, this is the initiation of the Holy Spirit. He begins it. He works it into us. He cultivates it. But it also motivates us in this world. That we know that we're not just doing something and repeating a cycle that is just another worldly worldview. This is God moving us to live freely in the light of who He is. God began the work of revelation through the Spirit. It is so incredible. Such grace is here. Claim number four. Spiritual wisdom... It's something that we learn freely so that we may teach freely. It's something that is taught to us, that we learn freely so we may teach freely. Look at at verse 12-15. through He says, Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. And we also speak these things. So we've been given something freely and we speak these things that are not taught by human wisdom, in other words, some other kind of philosophy that's empty, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. That what we learn freely, we must teach freely. When we have the announcement... Of the Gospel. We can take that and share it with other people. As simple as it is. The beautiful Gospel of Jesus. And then as we meet other, encounter other Christians, other believers, we can take the implications of that. What God is doing in our life. How God is transforming. How God is leading us. And we can begin teaching others this as well. And in doing so, we are able to show that God is the creator of life. We are able to show that God is the savior of life. That he is the sustainer. He's the one that keeps us going. He is the perfecter. Even though when we fall, he is perfect. And we begin sharing with everyone. Everybody's always looking for an expert. We share the life expert. Who better to be the expert on life than Jesus? the one who began it. The one who saves it. The one who sustains it. The one who perfects it. And when we're sharing this, we're not sharing just some self-help spiritual formula devised by some other fallen person with the problems of this world, we're sharing that God Himself saw our ultimate problem and God is the ultimate solution bringer. And He has willingly, lovingly shared Himself with us. And now it's our privilege and responsibility to share that which God has freely given to us, freely revealed to us, To freely reveal it to others. But note, however, that Paul says that we are not to get things mixed up. Once again, he's reminding us that just as there are two types of instruction, there are two types of people. There are those that have the need of the announcement first. They they do not have any clue yet what it really means to know Jesus. They may know some things about Jesus. They may have grown up with the word Jesus, but they have never understood what it means to know Jesus. They're the ones that would claim out, as Jesus said in Luke chapter, I mean Matthew chapter six, whenever they come to that day where they face them, they'll say, "Lord, Lord," and he'll say, "Depart from me, for I never knew you." They'll know to call him Lord, but they won't know who he is. We've got to get them the announcement because all the other things that we want to teach them and this good stuff. It will get lost if they don't have the Gospel first. There are those that are need the instruction of the announcement. And then there are those that are need the instruction of teaching towards maturity, growth as a disciple. And as we have freely been given, we must freely teach. Paul writes that the follower of Christ is always, ever, a spiritual learner that will grow and grasp that which God is continually revealing to us. According to His Word, of course. But... We should not be surprised when God tells us to live a life and to speak and share that life with others. And also, that there are going to be others, they're going to look at this and they're going to be like, that doesn't make sense. They're going to try to evaluate all this. And it won't add up. They won't know why you practice some of the things you practice. They won't know why you set aside some of the times that you set aside. They won't know that instead of vacation, you go and do this mission. They won't know and understand why you would be so selfless. They won't understand why you make these these regulations in your parenting. They won't understand why you hold yourself accountable. They're not going to always understand it. Because for them, everything is subjective. I won't say that the world without Jesus has zero morality. The world has morality. That's why they have a conscience. But their morality is subjective. When we trust Jesus, we see a God who has a very clear standard. He is the one who has made us righteous in His eyes. Now we seek to live in that righteousness. Righteousness. And our morality is no longer subjective. It is very objective. It has a goal. It has a target. And that target is to live holy and pleasing for the one who died holy and pleasing for us. And it will not always make sense. But our lives will continue to be marked with a new awareness, a wakefulness, that the Spirit has awakened us to something and someone greater, which leads us to claim number five. And this is the big idea. This is the the reason we're all here. Why do we need spiritual wisdom? Why do we need this instruction? Why do we need to open our eyes to this mystery? Why do we need to listen and teach? It's because spiritual wisdom, and this is its goal, will make us and move us to be more like Jesus. If it's not doing that, you're not learning right. If it's not applied that way, you may be having the biblical interpretation without the practical application, which is what we've heard, what it leads to. Or you may be seeking to do all kinds of other application, but not seeking to live according to the Word. And you may wonder, why is this not working out? Because spiritual wisdom, that which God has provided, will make us and move us to be more like Jesus. That is the ultimate goal in our parenting, in our workplace, in our schools, in our service when we go across the street, when we go out to eat today. If what you learn today doesn't help you to be a better person communicating with the person across the table, then what are we doing? Because what it's meant to do is for us to learn and then apply and for our light to so shine that people may see our good works and glorify our fathers in heaven. They'll see that the Gospel, that announcement has taken hold and now we're learning what it means. In every area of our life. We don't want to always get it perfect. But we have an aim. And this is the aim of that wisdom. Let's gain some knowledge. And let's live like we have it. As we honor Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank You so much for this day. I, I know that people are probably doing whatever they can to seize the moment of this extended summer that You've given us here in Michigan. But today... You have the people in this room here for divine appointment to learn from You, to hear from You. And I pray that today that's exactly what has happened, what's been accomplished. And that, Lord, when we leave here, we'll have not only learned from You, but we'll have responded to You in worship. And, Lord, for some in this room, that responding in worship means for surrendering their life to You realizing their lack of peace without You and that they've come into this room with spiritual questions. and What they need to do is have a spiritual surrender to You, the ultimate Savior. For others in this room who are disciples who are seeking to follow follow You faithfully and maybe they're discouraged and needing to be refueled and encouraged, for those that are seeking wisdom and how to live and apply and share, you, God, I pray that You would just bless them with wisdom and an open mind and an ability to communicate clearly your gospel message to others and those that are co-workers and family members that are with them that are christian brothers and sisters i pray that you would help them also grow and share what you're doing in their life and how you can mutually encourage them lord today as we We have this time of response. Help us all just have an awareness and a wakefulness of what you want us to do. And God, may we respond resounding with yes. However you lead, wherever you lead, we'll go. In Jesus' name, amen.